Hi, I'm Constance. I'm a compulsive overeater. I want to thank Susan for asking me to come share my experience, strength, and hope. Uh, I think this is the first room I ever went to an overeaters meeting. It was uh, November, it was I think a week before Thanksgiving, November 1987. Um, a little, I had heard about OA for a while, and a little voice in my head just said, "I, I can't do this." holiday season alone again. I, I won't make it. And I, I listened to the voice and I showed up. And uh, I guess I, I want to say that I, I generally like speaking and I, I like sharing my story in a room full of people because you're my witnesses. You you hear me. You might not all be listening, but that's okay. <laughs> you hear me, you listen, you don't interrupt. And you at least take in some part of my story, and it validates and kind of legitimates me inside, because I didn't have that growing up. And that's not necessarily the reason why I became a compulsive overeater, but it definitely, I used food as my comfort for a long, long time. So I just appreciate you all here being my witness. Um, means a lot to me, this fellowship, my abstinence, my recovery. So uh, I got abstinent once I talked about it with another human being. You know, I came in and I figured I was going to do it all alone, because that's my way, secretive and doing everything alone and not sharing my truth with anyone, because it's too scary and too dangerous. But I did finally... uh, after six weeks of doing it on my own, I binged again, and uh, I wasn't sure if it was a binge because it was just like one box of sugar-free cookies, so I wasn't sure, if, you know, and then when I talked to someone else, they go, oh yeah, I was kind of disappointed because I thought she'd just say, don't worry about it, and then she asked me what I still think of as the most brilliant question anyone asked me in my life because it changed me so much. She said, well, what is your abstinence? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> she said, well, you know, it's probably going to be really hard to stay abstinent, and I don't know what you're abstinent is. <laughs> so we defined it over the phone, and it's pretty much been my abstinence for 19 and a half years, which is no binging, no purging, no starving. I don't eat sugar, uh, and I eat three healthy meals a day. Um, not, you know, I don't want to say normal portions, I don't know what normal is, but like healthy portions, um, and what else? I have, like I'll have a snack in the evening, and I've gone through periods where I've had two snacks a day, and then I've noticed that the extra snack has put a uh, spare tire on my waist, so I've, you know, been willing to let that go. So that's kind of the range. And I have sometimes gained five pounds or so or lost. I think I'm on the lost end. <coughs> and I just let that be okay. I don't know if, what anyone else would say about it. Well, I know what my sponsor says. But don't worry about it. Um, so my abstinence for me is really clear. Like, really clear. So I'll give you examples. Um, I work in an office, I work at a law office, and they have tons of, like, attorney lunches, and then the leftovers, everybody swarms for the leftovers, and then whenever there's a party, there's, like, multiple cakes. 
and I'll look at the cake or go to the person's party, and I look at the cake and I, you know, there's a teeny bit of temptation still after 19 years, and I look at that cake and I go, okay, if I were to have any, the entire cake would be for me and these people would have to leave. So that's sort of my relationship with the cake. And then I grieve and go, okay, not for me. And I also, I don't know if people think this is mean or what, but I look around at all the other people eating the cake and I say, I don't want what they have. So, And I also know that, believe me, I really still believe after 19 years that before I got here, I've eaten enough cake and ice cream for a normal life. <laughs> and packed it all into a shorter period of time. So, uh, and, and I thank God a lot. You know, I, I, uh, I thank God, I'd say pretty much every day for my abstinence. And the thing is, like, well, I love what Jody... Um, second Jody said about um, conscious eating because that's what I do rather than it being like a vacuum I you know where I inhale and don't remember swallowing and then like where's my food it's gone and I'm still hungry and I want more I I acknowledge that I'm having this meal and I happen to be uh, mostly vegan vegetarian so I don't eat meat so that's like another thing but I eat pretty much, not always, but I try to eat only like healthy, natural, clean food. And part of the reason is because I just feel like I put my body through so much hell. My body is now my temple. My spiritual life needs a healthy physical suitcase, you know? And so I do my best to stay on that track. Um, and I don't eat junk food, like it's just not in my plan. I'm trying to remember, I ate some, like, whatever. Anyway, uh, but that's pretty much, you know, and the thing is, the reason I live that way and how I live that way is because I never forget that I'm a hope to die compulsive overeater. It was my big secret. Um, my mom used to say, you know, I've never seen anyone go up and down on a scale, it's like, like you're a yo-yo. And then, like, in one of the books, the physician books that talks about yo-yo dieting as like one of the characteristics of bulimia like my my practically my nameplate is in there <laughs> one of those books and um, I don't do that anymore I'm just consistent I don't go on diets after holidays I don't binge during holidays and it's it's just a completely different way of life than I ever ever could imagine I could do on my own and I tried until I was I think 33 um, to do that and uh, I went to therapy for 10 years I'm not at all opposed to therapy I just know for me that therapy without addressing my addictions they're multiple would does not work for me um, and so I, I personally only like to go to like I don't know if it's relevant but addiction specialist therapist because they get it um, and I anyway um most of my life since recovery, all the good stuff that's happened is a result of not only work that I've done in recovery, but people I've been involved with in recovery, like workshops or therapists or friends. Um, not completely exclusive, but I just find that that's the spiritual path I'm on, and I just find so much sustenance and relief from that. I don't know if that makes sense. Uh, so I guess like a little bit about my 
history before. Uh, I hate this part in public because it's sort of uncomfortable, you know, to talk about my family of origin stuff. I used to talk about it incessantly to anyone who would or wouldn't listen. <laughs> Once this woman, it was really mean, but it was right when I started program or right before, no, it had to be before we were getting really drunk. And, uh, uh, yeah, it was right at the edge, right before I started coming here. Um, Anyway, it was kind of funny. We were, uh, I came to her house in the morning, hungover, totally hungover from the night before, and I'm driving from Hollywood to Silver White Lake thinking I could get arrested for um, a hangover because I'm so hot. <laughs> and then we went to do this, like, to be models for these people she knew in Pasadena that were, like, wanted us to dress up, so we were, like, Grecian goddesses. And we're, like, laying around. And I remember the whole day, all I could do to be there was drink, they had lots of wine, and then I looked forward to the end of the day where we were going to have a meal. So that was like my binge at the end of the day, and I was just, anyway. So, I don't know, I was talking incessantly about my family, and she just interrupted me and said, you know what, I don't want to hear about it anymore, you're really boring. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was so hurt, but you know, I look back on that, and I'm like, I was desperate. I was just desperate to be heard, and desperate to be out of my pain. And uh, for a really long time, like I said, being out of my pain meant eating and also drinking and smoking cigarettes and inhaling coffee. Like, those were my four. And, and uh, also uh, bad relationships. I was good at that. And I was good at that for a really long time after. Um, so... As a kid, I didn't really feel, I was really common, I didn't feel like I fit in or belonged. Um, I have two older sisters who I feel, my experiences is that they really helped me to create that feeling. Uh, and, uh, that worked for them to be like two against one. I was the youngest girl, uh, then we had a little brother. Um, and he was kind of my savior because I had a friend to play with finally. Um, my parents split up when I was young, four kids in the 60s. We ranged in age from two and a half to 13. And just the family, it was insane. You know, my, my parents said that they were splitting up so that they would get along, that everything would be better. And it got worse, at least to me. It got worse, it got worse, it got worse. It was just craziness. And my, you know, I could go on and on and on for like a few hours about it, which I already do in therapy, so I don't really have to repeat it here. Um, and, although I could, and, um, <laughs> just mix me a little. And, uh, but the, my major saving grace was food. It was my best friend. I had some little girl best friends, but it was my alone best friend. I snuck it at a really early age. I was allergic to certain foods, and I remember sneaking to the refrigerator and making sure no one was around so I could eat them anyway, and then go and complain to my mom how much my arms itched, and I didn't know why I had this eczema. But, you know, it's because I couldn't stop eating the foods I was allergic to, and, God, I don't know, I was maybe five, six, and... Uh, the other thing, I think that uh, maybe this isn't a sign of a, a growing up addict, but to me it's sort of somewhat relevant. Is I used to, with my brother, we would we had one of these like country-looking 
rods that are circle and they have all the cable around it. And we would just walk from the outside to the inside and spin. We just go really fast, as <laughs> dizzy as possible until it fell on the floor. And that was kind of how I did my drugs and drinking, actually. that <laughs> <laughs> far apart. Um, so it just went on for a long time, you know. I was 33 when I got here. I was um, really into dance in New York. I wasn't on a professional level at all. I was like a wannabe. But what I really could do well or, you know, try to do well was what all the other dancers seemed to be doing, which was like starving and... Then I binged because I wasn't as good as it as everyone else. I was never as good as, you know, even the anorexic there. I was like, I, I like to qualify as a failed anorexic. <laughs> I, uh, but I, this one time, which is why I think, well, it qualified me because my, all my diets were starvation diets, pretty much. I couldn't follow rules. You know, as soon as it said, you know, have a tomato with your salad, I was like, oh, can't do that diet. Or I, the ones I could do were liquid diets. And then I thought, well, that's too extreme. I would add a banana and some broccoli during the day. Huh. And um, so anyway, uh, but this one time, I was just, my diet was cigarettes and coffee. That was kind of my favorite one. And I lost, it was probably like I got down to about 12 pounds thinner than I am now. And I was thinking, <laughs> yeah, I was, but I loved it, except that it was hard to cross my legs and hard to sit because it was all bones. And other than that, I was, I loved it, and I wanted to see what I'd look like at 101. And then I wanted to see what I'd look like at, like, nine, under 100. Just wanted to keep getting smaller. And then someone suggested, because literally all I did was smoke, they said, well, now that you're thin, why don't you, like, give up, try giving up the cigarettes? And, you know, you'll gain five pounds, and it'll be fine, you know. So I gave up the cigarettes, and I gained, like, 30 pounds in about six weeks, I think. It just kept, I just kept expanding. So, uh, but I had no recovery and no <coughs> program, so it just kind of went from there. And, you know, I could give you tons of examples, but you all, I, I guess, all relate or get it, you know. And um, so when I was ready to give up, I just, that was it, you know. I did have that surrender, and uh, that is so important. Step one, I'm powerless over food, which I always knew myself, but didn't really define it. And I didn't realize that it made my life unmanageable. And when those two came together, I think that little click went off, like, oh, okay. And coming here was just so amazing, and I was really afraid. I wore, like, a sweatshirt around my waist. And I had the same fear this morning, i got to tell you. So it was really interesting, 19 years later. I was afraid that the people that were very overweight would reject me for being too thin and that the anorexics would reject me for being too fat. So, you know, I just was not going to win. <laughs> and um, I was afraid someone was going to say something about my weight size. And the first meeting I was at, someone did. And... I lived through it. It was fine. And the weird thing is, I've been here and I've never seen her again. I mean, <laughs> too bad. Maybe she is still in program. I don't know. Um, but anyway, uh, I started going to meetings. I checked out all the steps. And I knew one was true. I figured, you know what? I've been looking for some kind of spiritual help. I could do step two. Uh, I pretty much never noticed step three. And step four, I made a conscious decision that that was not a step for me because everyone owed me an amends, and I had never done anything to anyone else. <laughs> everyone did it to me, and I was 
right. You know, I really, it was true. And then when I did my four step, it was, I think, like 130 pages. <laughs> 30 of it was on my mom. I think I did like 100 resentments about my mom, which really all boiled down to the same thing, which was I felt really hurt that you didn't pay attention to me and didn't show me love. And uh, as much as I needed, you know, and... And then I added 30 later. I just came up with 30 more. <laughs> and, you know, uh, an interesting thing about this program, you know, like I really thought that coming into program would mean like that my life would be perfect, meaning the way I always wanted it, you know. And my life is definitely not what I imagined it to be. Um, but I, it's amazing. One thing I didn't imagine, you know, when I moved out to California, I moved, out, I moved for a ton of reasons, and a big one was get a fuck away from these people <laughs> and you know what I wanted to do was go to Paris and this so hip but I didn't have a green card I mean I was it was so hard for me to figure out how to take care of myself I didn't have a green card I didn't speak a lick of French and I didn't know anyone there <laughs> but I did have a brother in California who I missed so I came this way and that was, you know, that was it. It never occurred to me that you could learn French, you could investigate, you could research, you know, just like, yes, no. It was like, my, it was fine, I'm glad I'm here, but my decision, that's nothing. My decision-making abilities were basically nil. They're, all my decisions were based on fear or what you thought or what I thought you thought. And that has taken, like, so far, like a lifetime to undo those. What, what I think you want from me... Uh, what you're doing, what I'm afraid to do. You could not, you know, what I found in the program, like, as a result of the abstinence and then going into, like, 4,000 other programs, because I need them all, I, um, I started to find out who I, you know, what's in here. Like, my first sponsor, I guess I was, like, a really big people-pleaser doormat, because that was one of my survival tools. Like, in my home, the siblings, the role of mean was already taken up by two people, and so I figured that one was still, so I took nice, good girl. And, um, and uh, I was, my idea of good was never saying no. Just whatever you wanted, fine. Just walk all over me with spikes, it's fine, as long as you're okay. Like, I didn't want to date because I thought, well, if I went on a date, I would sleep with people I didn't know, but I won't go on a date <laughs> because what if the guy liked me and I didn't like him? Then I would hurt his feelings. I couldn't ever say yes. You know, but... So, that was good logic, huh? Okay, so... Um, but I did live with someone I didn't want to live with. And, uh, yeah, I think it's really good. That's a whole... That's like three other programs. So, <laughs> come to the other programs and you can hear that story. Um... So, I'm just so grateful for 12-step programs that other people realize, besides you know, Bill and Bob, that there are other kinds of addictions because I kind of have, I don't have gambling, but I suppose it's because I've never, I was only in the Vegas once, so, um, in my underage, and they wouldn't let me gamble, although I tried. Um, I just kept getting kicked out. But I stole all the cigarettes I could in the lobby, so um, that worked. Anyway, so, um, uh, anyone want to remind me where I am? I'm having a... Hmm? Oh, okay, I don't want to talk about other programs. Thanks. Anyone else? <laughs> <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, thank you. Okay, cool. So, uh, I started, this is my first time to said, um, 
It was about, yeah, people pleasing, and there was something someone said or did, or I was supposed to say or do, I don't remember, and, and, and I said, but, you know, do I have to do da-da-da-da, and she said, well, no, you, you know, you have to see what, what you want to do, and, and I said, well, how do I know? Like, how do I know if I want to say yes or no? Because I only said yes. And she said, well, you'll feel it in, in your gut. If it feels good or calm, that's what you go with. And it, it was, I can't, for some reason today, I can't really verbalize exactly how it was, but it was the first time anyone ever said to me, go within and find out what's your truth. I never heard that before. Um, and it's really, I spent 19 years working on it. It's not like it like came perfectly after that, and I still do. Another time with the sponsor I have now, um, years ago, I, I was invited to a, a part, an all-girls sort of slumber party, which is like really not for me. Maybe now I could do it, but at the time I was just like, oh, no, can't do it. And, but this woman was in my group therapy session, and I thought, well, I have to go. And I told my sponsor about it. I said, I really don't like her that much. I don't want to go. I don't want to spend the whole night with girls and sleep over and the whole thing. And she said, well, you can just tell her you have other plans. And I said, but I don't really have other plans. And she said, well, what would you do that night? I said, stay home and watch TV. And she said, well, that's a plan. <laughs> you know, it legitimized me. It's like whatever I want to do is okay. I don't have to do what other people either tell me to do or I think I have to do because they're going to be mad at me. And I've lived like my whole life in that what are they all going to think of me stuff, you know? And I caught myself doing it this morning because I wanted to wear this top and I thought, well, people might not like it or it might be too revealing or people get mad at me for being thin, you know, whatever. And it's like, you know what, that's, you got to do it. And then I found my sweatshirt in the car, and I'm like, great, perfect. <laughs> and I got water all over it, so there you go. <laughs> and um, so, okay, uh, it's 9.31, and I didn't really talk about, like, 90% of things that now I think I should talk about. So um, the rest is questions, I guess. So, like, ask away, and thank you very much.